patient safety and doctor safety are one and the same thing mm -hmm. because you know without doctor safety there is no patient safety mm -hmm. you know if if the doctor is so fatigued that they you know crash their car on their way home then there's no doctor to look after the patients Hello, and thank you for joining our podcast, Hope to Recharge, a show that is designed to bring hope, inspiration, motivation, and some practical tips to those that are battling depression and anxiety, and to those that are supporting loved ones that are going through the journey in this difficult time of depression and anxiety. I'm here to tell you, you are not alone, and we will live beyond depression and anxiety. We will share our stories one story at a time in a world of mental health together is better. I'm your host, Matana. Thank you for tuning in. Hello and welcome to Hope to Recharge. Thank you for joining me here today. Today I have uh, somebody that is so dedicated to mental health that she is sitting in Australia. It's about 11.30 p.m. at night, almost midnight. And she was so dedicated to doing this episode. She reached out to me and she's like, we're both in the mental health, breaking the stigma, passion. Dana Fang, Dana Fang, she lives in Australia. She is a doctor at a very young age. She's phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. There were so many things in, that I was in awe of her. She flew in last week to New York for a weekend. So I think she was in New York. She's laughing as I'm introducing her, but like, it's really amazing. She flew from Australia. Now it takes about a day and a half to get to New York from Australia with all the transfer and waiting times. So it takes about sometimes 24 hours or, or even longer to, right, to get here. And then she was here just for the weekend and she went back home because she's a doctor. She's a doctor and she needs to see patients and she's dedicated, but she was so, so dedicated to what she does. And I said, how are we going to do this podcast? Like I start my day at 9.15 and I have only a certain recording hours and you see patients all day and you have to get sleep before you see patients. She said, this message is so important to me and I'll stay up till 11.30 if I need to and we're going to do this. So how much gratitude do we have for Dana for staying up right now to discuss this important message. It's a very important message. It's a new message I'm bringing to this podcast. So welcome, Dana. Thank you so much for staying up for us and for making time and for, for the importance, jet lag and work and a million other things that you have going on. Your podcast. Oh, she's also a podcaster. She has her own podcast. So wh whoever's a podcaster out there knows how much she's juggling. So thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Matana, for having me on your show. And thank you so much for your kind words. I am very honored to be on your show. Thank you. Thank you. So um, I want to give the audience a little bit of a background why you you were so passionate about having this episode. Dana is not the first one that actually reached out to me, but she was the first one that was determined that we have to do something about it. I've been getting a lot of people telling me that we need to start the conversation um, with practitioners in EMT, the, the EMT world, therapists, doctors. Dana is a doctor. She's very young. How old are you? 26, 27? I'm 26, yes. 26, oh my God, 26. She can be my daughter and she's a doctor, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and she feels that a lot of people are afraid to talk about mental health, about 
things that are going th- that they're going through through um, becoming a doctor or, or residency or a doctor or way into a doctor, maybe a professor, because there's so much stigma and shame. I want to give her the platform now to elaborate on this because she's in that world. I'm hearing it from everybody, but I'm not in that world. So I want her to give us a little bit of a background. So when I went through medical school, um, I had a really good time and nothing prepared me for what was to come, which was basically my intern year. So my very first day, um, starting out fresh as a brand shiny new doctor, I was sent out to a very small rural hospital that basically had very, very little support and I was left to fend for myself. And that is a nightmare, a horror story for a lot of junior doctors starting out. And that was my reality that first day. And after that whole ordeal, I I felt very alone. I felt like I was very ashamed and embarrassed by what happened out there on my first day. Um, And I felt like I couldn't speak to any of my colleagues about it because I was worried that people would judge me. And, um, you know, no one ever talks about their struggles in medicine. It's like if you mentioned that you were struggling, it was a sign of weakness. And if you appeared weak, then your bosses won't favor you. They won't write you a good report at the end of your uh, rotation or for your assessment. So no one would ever complain. Everyone would just put their head down and keep working. And that was what I did. And the year didn't get any better. You know, I encountered someone senior who was a bully. And then, you know, um, I worked many shifts in a row. I was so tired. And at one point, um, I missed a really important test result. um, And that patient could have died. Luckily, the patient didn't. And the, uh, the head of the department who was on call that weekend, um, you know, supposed to be uh, helping me through that weekend, uh, was very upset by it, you know, obviously, because his patient nearly died, but provided me with very little support. He was more fixated with um, the technicalities of, you know, how it happened and uh, wasn't there to debrief with me and, you know, talk me through how we could actually prevent the mistakes from happening. And essentially that was down to fatigue and, you know, my lack of experience. And um, I needed a lot of emotional support then. And uh, I don't think he identified that. Mm. I think that was pretty much around the time when I was very close to breaking point. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to quit medicine. I felt like I couldn't carry on anymore. And one night I just broke down crying and told my parents, I said, I can't do this, you know, And funnily enough, my parents were the ones who originally pushed me to do medicine. I didn't want to do it. When I finished high school, I was like top of the class, everything. But medicine was like the last thing on my list because I always thought that it was this, I had a hunch that it was this horrible career with really long hours. It's not a horrible career, but you know, I knew that it was really hard. hard. Yeah. It's very challenging. It's long hours. I think in the back of my mind, I thought I wasn't built for it, but my parents thought differently. So they really pushed me to uh, apply for medical school and I got in. So I took it as a sign that I should give it a crack. And so, you know, I broke down crying and I told them that I, I didn't think I could keep going. And they said, it's okay. We support you no matter what decision you make. After medical school. 
Yeah, so going yeah. through all that work, yeah. it's okay if yeah. you quit. Yeah, so they decided that I, I guess I didn't realize that, um, you know, ultimately my well being was more important to my parents than me wow. being a doctor. And that's a good thing, right? Yeah. Uh, we want all our that's parents amazing, to, by to the way. support. Yeah. So just that alone, just those words alone gave me right. enough strength to keep going. Yes. So I, I kept going and, um, Essentially, I found that my uh, well-being, I, I, I sort of learned some new ways of coping with the stress of medicine. Like medicine will always be stressful, mm-hmm. especially when you work in a full-time hospital job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had to find ways to cope. Otherwise, I was going to crash and burn again. And next time it could be worse. You know, next time it could be Uh, having thoughts of suicide instead of just crying to my parents saying that I want to quit medicine. So I knew that I had to put things in place to look after myself. And what did you do? So I started seeing a psychologist. I knew that I needed some professional help Mm -hmm. uh, because I felt like I couldn't talk to my own colleagues because everyone was too busy trying to, you know, put on this uh, facade of like perfection. Superman, superwoman. Yeah, yeah. Everyone was too afraid to admit that they were struggling. And I know this now because, uh, you know, it's been like more than a year and a half, two years since my internship. And people are now reaching out to me, people that I went through internship with saying, hey, Dana, I actually felt the same way you did. I listened to your podcast and, you know, I actually wish that I'd known that you were going through the same thing and we talked about it. Um, But coming back to, you know, me putting uh, in place some strategies to look after myself, I went to see a psychologist, uh, but uh, the first thing I did was go see my GP because that's what was drilled into us Mm -hmm. throughout medical school. Go see your GP because you need a GP who knows you, who knows what your normal happy self is. Mm -hmm. And then when you're not feeling well, like if you're becoming anxious or depressed, then your GP would be able to go, oh yeah, I know you're normally not like this. So something is up. So I went to see a GP who said, look, I really don't want to put you on a mental health care plan. So that's something that we have in Australia, whereby if you have a mental health, uh, a diagnosed mental health illness, the Australian government will pay for a certain number of your appointments with a psychiatrist or psychologist, you know, so that to make sure that your symptoms are managed. And she said, I don't want to do that for you because I'm worried that um, you might get investigated by the medical board and <gasps> there's a risk of getting deregistered. It's just no a, horrible, way. a horrible process to go through. So she said, it's better if you um, just go see the psychologist as a private patient. I'm not off going the record. To... Yeah. Off the record. It was all oh. off the record. Um, and she, well, to be fair, she was like, I really don't think that you have anything, you know, like a severe mental Major. illness going on. You do have like very acute stress, like she could see mm-hmm. that. But it was all like, let's avoid doing that because there's so much stigma around it. There's so much red tape the moment you become diagnosed with a mental illness. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had to do that and in addition to seeing my psychologist I started to realize that I needed to have a regular routine like uh, regular exercise regular yoga sessions Um, I then when I felt better uh, signed up 
with a life coach that worked with me for six months, mm-hmm. um, sort of to help me uh, reprioritize things in my life. Because before I was just throwing myself into work and just focused on achieving, 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 you know, and, and then it became all very meaningless and I was a bit lost. So life coach helped me sort of find my own direction again. Wow. What medical field are you in? So I just actually this morning um, received news that I got on the GP training program. Mm-hmm. But for now, I am a what we call in Australia anyway, we're called resident medical officers. Mm-hmm. So we don't belong to any particular specialties. Mm-hmm. At this point, we are allowed to you know apply to what is for a specialty that we are qualified to apply for. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just rotate around through like all the different specialties that are available to us. Mm. How are you feeling today? I have to say that um, I've been a bit uh, up and down. Um, today was one of those bad days. Like yesterday was a good day. Today is a sad day. Mm-hmm. But hopefully tomorrow will be a good day again. So you still have the roller coaster. And do you think you think it's related to stress? Because your stress level now in terms of rotations are less because you have your regular, what is it? You get up at six o'clock probably to be there at seven. Yeah. You, go, you come back at five, six o'clock. So it's not the night shift that a resident has to do, sometimes double shift. So yes. it's the regular stressful life of, and a doctor's life is even more stressful because they're seeing so much pain and struggles and, and you're new at it. So you have to like really put in your efforts to diagnose properly and all that stress. But do you think that part of what you were going through was really you trying to be the perfectionist of the doctor and, and showing up perfectly? Or do you think it was really a chemical imbalance? I think that it was very much the perfectionist side of things. I definitely was, um, I was also one of those people who tried to be, to appear perfect to my seniors because I wanted a good report. I wanted at the end of my rotation with them for them to praise me and say, you did really well, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You were very efficient. You know, I prided myself in being really good at what I do. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess that meant that I worked extra hard at not only just what I do, but also work very hard to appear like it was effortless. Um, Right, 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 right. I guess my question, first of all, I'm in awe because usually people have a they go through this and it's not in residency that they realize it's 20 years into it when they realize they spent 20 years of being a doctor and hiding in pain and trying. And then they have that crashing point. They can't do it anymore. And they're not willing to do it anymore. And then they seek help. You were willing to risk giving up everything in order to find the truth, in order to find the reason, in order to get better. And for a perfectionist, it's unheard of because the, no, because you so want to be the perfectionist. You also have the goal of achieving and you put in all that work. So what do you think that was that rock bottom that you said, I don't care what the medical world will see of me. I'm going to seek help because that's a big thing for you to say, I don't care about stigma. And after the doctor told you, listen, I'm not going to put the report in because they might, they might not even give you a job or they might take you off or they'll, 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 whatever the process is in Australia. What made you actually say, I'm not, I'm willing to give it all up and, and say, I'm getting help? I guess thinking back, there is probably a part of me that is, I think I put it down to an element of resilience. 
that I valued myself enough or uh, maybe a little bit more to then say, well, this is just a career. Like I can't just throw away my whole life, mental health and well-being just for a job. At the end of the day, even though it's a very glorified job and to the public, it's very glamorous, you know, but in reality, it's not. It is just a job. We're not any different to, you know, people who work hard driving taxis or uh, work as baristas or Mm -hmm. uh, firemen or policemen, you know, At, at the end of the day, it is a job. I've read an article uh, by an EMT who put it that way and that, uh, that sort of put things into perspective for me. So it was kind of like a, I can't take this anymore. I need to get help or, you know, I, I don't know if I could tolerate it getting any much worse than it was. Like it was really bad. I was at a very bad place. Did you have like a mentor or somebody in the medical field, like somebody, a professor or someone that you felt close to that you can run this idea by and say like, is this normal what I'm feeling? Do other residents feel this way? Will it get better? Did you have anyone besides your parents and your doctor to actually go and say, is this normal? I wish I did. And I didn't. I, I didn't manage to form any close or long-lasting relationships with any professors or uh, any senior doctors. I felt like I couldn't reach out to any of them because I was worried that they might then say, oh, something's wrong with you, so therefore you can't practice and we're just going to take you off mm-hmm. you know, your job. And the only people, actually the only person that I told was my best friend who was working in a hospital that's like five hours flight away from me in a totally different city. And she's, we went through medical school uh, together and there was only so much support she could offer me, you know, being so far away. Did she know what you were talking about? Did she have the same experience? Yes, she definitely had this very similar experience. And this all, it kind of made me realize that I wasn't alone because I realized like she had something similar going on. And then I had an inkling that others had similar, well, not similar experiences, but similar struggles as I did. Mm -hmm. And because of that, that drove me to come up with this podcast idea of mine Mm -hmm. that if there are other junior doctors out there who are like me, felt like they couldn't reach out to anyone senior because they're afraid of the repercussions. Maybe if they could hear my story, then they wouldn't feel so alone. You know, they, they'd realize that, okay, some bits of it's normal and some bits isn't, and therefore they should seek help. Ah, so your message, your, your, your podcast is Junior's Doctor's Corner. Yes, Junior Doctor's Corner. Junior, without the S, Junior Junior Doctor's Corner. And yes. it's a place that people, that the junior doctors can get together and have like a little safe place to speak about what's going on and not feel judged and have an open platform of acceptance, which I think is phenomenal. And Dana, you might be somebody that's changing the future in doctor's 
lives and in the lives of their patients. But I have a lot to say on this and I'm going to elaborate, but I just want you to understand that if no one did this till now and you're the first one that actually took the the liberty of maybe even it could be you will lose your credibility by by the association or whatever and you were saying it's worth it. I'm willing to change people's feelings and giving up on myself if I can change somebody's um, life for the positive in their mental health area, which is unreal, unreal. And I and I'm sure that like we'll talk five years from now and you're gonna you're gonna tell me how far you came and different countries are gonna join you. I'm sure, I am so sure I already see the ripple effect. By the way, you don't see her face, she's giggling, but I'm telling you that she is going to do an incredible job of breaking this stigma. I wanna I want to bring it back to the conversation for a second. What happened when you started talking about it out loud? What happened to your job? What happened to people that started knowing? Did they say, oh, listen, Dana, you can share, but don't share too much. Don't talk about the real horrible stuff you can say in general. What happened there? So I actually received an overwhelming amount of support. And amazingly, it came mostly from seniors. There were, oh, I think I've been lucky in that I came across one after another. It was like this really, uh, how should I say this? It was like this domino effect. Domino effect, that's what I was saying. Once I started it, it just came one after another. Like, you know, I'd meet a senior and then I'd talk to them about it. And then they're like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. I'm going to help you with this. And then another and then another and another. It was just, yeah, incredible. And um, I'm so grateful for all my guest speakers who have been on my podcast who have you know I've been so supportive and encouraging uh and once I you know got all these senior doctors on board and also some a handful of junior doctors who were uh very brave you know coming onto the podcast to give their opinions about various topics and a lot of them to do with burnout and mental illness people started opening up you know I got messages from, you know, old friends, like I mentioned earlier, who went through internship with me who said, hey, you know, thank you so much for creating this podcast. Like, you know, it's really helped me because I felt like I couldn't talk to anyone about my struggles. You know, I felt exactly the same way you did. Wow. And what about your fear of losing your job or not being accepted to a prestige job? I guess that never that that repercussion never happened i guess because overall this podcast is still fairly low profile in that um we we i mean i haven't made any outrageous accusations at anyone and as long as organizations have their reputations intact they don't see any reason to come after me um after all this you know, doctor wellness space is very much growing uh, in momentum in Australia. Mm -hmm. uh, so I wasn't, I'm, I'm not alone, like not completely alone. I'm not a sore thumb sticking out where people can just target and pick on me um, in this space. What would you do if a patient came in and said, I um, heard that Dr. Dana is struggling with mental health and I don't want her to see my child? What would, it, what would that make you feel? I would say that I totally understand because that patient is looking out for their child and want what's best for their child. Mm -hmm. And um, at the end of the day, it is the patient's choice who they want to see. 
mm-hmm. as their doctor. Mm-hmm. And aside from that, I just feel sorry for the patient and you know the child because I know I'm a great doctor <laughs> and they're just missing out. So you know, I hope that they'll be able to find another great doctor as well that who can help them and they're comfortable, you know, seeing. Because you did mention before that you, because you were so fatigued and overwhelmed and stressed that you missed an important information that the patient could have, God forbid, died or whatever, mm-hmm. given the wrong medicine, the wrong amount, or not picked up on a small thing. It could be a small thing that can prevent a, an extreme pain, not death. Let, let's not go death. Something small. So where's the fine line between protecting yourself, protecting the patient, and where do they merge? Because you're protecting yourself by speaking out loud and seeking help. And at the same time, you need to protect the patient and making sure that you're okay and you can really, your mind is clear. So when mm-hmm. do they merge and say, I'm protecting myself, I'm speaking out loud, but at the same time, I'm well enough to see a patient and treat them. And when do you put them first? So patient always comes first. And I think that is also kind of part of the problem. We, you know, during medical school, we take the Hippocratic Oath. We, you know, swear that we will always look after patients first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And because of that, doctors are or have been putting themselves second or even in fact last. They work very hard because there's so many patients to see. There's so many sick people to look after and not enough doctors they have no choice but to work crazy shifts, crazy hours, you know, to make sure that the patient's needs are met. Mm. But, you know, it's it's like a double-edged sword because then they they get tired, they burn out, and that then puts the patient at risk. A higher risk, right, right. Yeah, exactly. And so um, the line is very blurred now. I think um, we are now... Moving forward uh, as a medical community in Australia, we're making it very clear. Those of us who are um, involved in uh, this doctor's well-being and mental health space mm-hmm. are making it very clear that patient safety and doctor safety are one and the same thing. Mm-hmm. Because you know, without doctor safety, there is no patient safety. Mm-hmm. You know, if if the doctor is so fatigued that they you know crash their car on their way home then there's no doctor to look after the patients. Mm -hmm. So they talk about self-care, but they don't talk about mental health awareness and conversation. It's all intertwined, I guess. Mm -hmm. And we are still, um, we are still having some roadblocks when it comes to mental health. Mm -hmm. There is still that stigma. We're slowly chipping away, breaking it down. So for example, one of the, this is a known thing, like I'm not, you know, airing out anyone's dirty secrets here, but the president of our obstetrics and gynecology college only um, earlier this year came out that he tried to commit suicide Mm -hmm. as an intern because he had such a horrible time out in a rural hospital, very poorly supported and overworked. Mm -hmm. So he was obviously depressed and attempted to commit suicide, but failed because his colleagues intervened and had to secretly in a hush-hush way, see a psychiatrist and receive treatment. But he kept this a secret and his colleagues also kept this, kept his secret for over 30 years or more. What made him come out and talk about it now? Because he was 
there was the death of a colleague. A- another senior doctor actually killed himself recently, mm-hmm. and that triggered something in him. And he thought that it was time to tell his story to help destigmatize mental health. When did this happen? This story coming out. This story came out, I believe, earlier this year. I can't remember which month. I think it may have been like February. I think. So that was very good for you. It was reassuring. You like it was like a pat on the back and said, "Dana, you're doing something right." Even this professor is like coming and supporting you on your. Mission and your mission is so important. It pr- must have given you so much energy to continue what you're doing, because you'll still have, as you say, the down days and the days of uh, like that you're wondering, will this destroy me? Because you never know. You never know what will happen if somebody from a hospital or a new job that you might go to, and in like five, ten years, and they'll say, Dana, we hear you're a great doctor, but you speak about your mental health issues and all this, and we really want heroes here, people that don't struggle and people that are good and superman and superwomen. And maybe we'll give you like a little bit of courage when you, I'm sure you're going to get it sometime because there's no, there's no bliss in the world 100%. So it's going to come up or maybe these little reassurances are going to say, Dana, you're doing the right thing. Don't miss, don't second doubt your, your mission and what you're doing is great. And if you didn't get that job or whatever, it's for the good. And a million other doors will open, but I think it's it's such a gift that you got it so early on. This this recognition from the hierarchy in the medical world it was really a- uh, yes. Uh, thank you, Matana, for your words. I I mean I have to say that at the time when I was experiencing all the horrible things that I experienced, mm-hmm. it did not feel like a gift at all. Mm-hmm. But in hindsight, like I could see the silver lining. I could see why I had to go through what I went through mm-hmm. to come out the other side and try to, you know, take all those horrible experiences and make them into something positive and something good that would hopefully help other junior doctors. And hopefully they would never be put through any of the situations that I was put through. And if they, even if they did, at least, you know, they have someone else's story to relate to so they never feel alone. Mm. If somebody would hire you and say, okay, Dana, you came up with this a beautiful podcast and a beautiful thought and you're breaking the stigma. We want to hire you as someone that's fresh out of medical school, a new doctor, new mind. What do you think we need to implement in medical school to help students like you or residents or new doctors or to prevent it? That before you get to the crisis, what do you think needs to be said in the beginning that you don't get to that breaking point or somebody that's struggling from when they're like 12 and it's just escalating when they're getting into medical school because the pressure is so hard? What do you think they need? That is a very good question, Matana. And I have been turning this question over in my mind for a very long time, given I have an interest in medical education. I personally think that setting up a mentorship program is very important. And unfortunately, in Australia, it's not emphasized enough. Mm -hmm. There's usually some half attempt at setting one up. For example, my medical school, our um, medical society had a mentorship program uh, set up and they matched us to a senior doctor. But, um, you know, only if we were interested, this was like an opt-in kind of program. And a lot of my friends opted in for 
a mentor and I, I didn't, I don't know, for whatever reason, I decided not to. But my friends then told me that it was pointless because these mentors that they were matched with just did not have the time to, you know, sit down with them for even an hour a month. Mm-hmm. or even reply to their texts or emails because they are also the professors of universities. They're teaching, they're operating in theaters, they're doing in clinics, they're doing both public and private hospital. They're just mm-hmm. so busy. They're very, very busy people with very good intentions, but never get around to actually mentoring medical students. So I think a better system needs to be implemented where um, you know all parties are kept accountable possibly there needs to be some protected time somewhere for the mentorship to actually occur. Mm. The other thing that I had a chat with a um, psychiatrist from Amsterdam who now lives in Australia and is uh, working as a life coach, a, a life and wellness coach. She runs a program for junior doctors called Resilience on the Run and is basically a program to help build resilience and junior doctors. And uh, I actually interviewed her on my podcast a while ago now. And we got on the topic, this was off record, about you know possibly introducing it, her resilience program to medical students. But there is this argument that it might be a bit difficult for medical students to realize the importance of that resilience training because they haven't been exposed to the work conditions yet. Like they don't know what it's like and they don't understand the significance, uh, the significance of it. So maybe it may not be useful to introduce it so early because, you know, my medical school introduced it really early and you know, all my friends really hated it. They felt like they were stuffing this thing down our throats that we didn't want to, you know, have. Mm. And so it is a bit of a a gray area. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe right before you start residency and say, listen, you, you got your, you got your report card, you, you, you succeeded medical school. Now you're going into the big deal and maybe having support groups, once a month support groups or open conversations or, um, even a topic of, uh, it should be something in medical school career that they, they talk about in the last semester, the intensity, mental health, what to expect, how to seek help. If you feel, if you feel alone, reach out. There has to be a better conversation about it in order for, for people to really be able to reach out and feel safe and not have to go through what you went through in your mind. Should I, should I, should I, should I, should I? Oh, this, oh, they spoke to us about this. This is okay. This is normal. We're going to go through some kind of mental turmoil. Let's reach out for help. Oh, definitely. I I agree with you there. And uh, I think what my medical school did when I went through, and I think they might've gotten a little bit better at this, I suspect. uh, They did give us some information, sort of warn us, yes, it can be stressful, but I don't think they painted a realistic picture of how horrible it can actually get. They didn't invite anyone to give a speech about, you know, mental actual like actual mental illness in a doctor Mm -hmm. it was all very theoretical and you know the people that they would bring back to give us presentations are people who love medicine who are just happy and you know it it just painted this rosy picture and then we didn't see the other side of things yeah and so i agree with you It, it definitely there definitely needs to be a better conversation. And that's why I created Junior Doctors Corner to, you know, create that conversation online 
um, you know, in a safe space for junior doctors who feel like they can't do it locally at their own hospitals. Mm -hmm. Do you think hospitals are afraid of hiring doctors that are suffering? Oh, definitely. They are. And they will avoid them? Definitely. I wonder if you went back to your school and said, can I give a talk to the students before they graduate about what it was like and what to expect and how to speak out loud and reach help because it could get hard and you can heal and it could actually be better. You think they would say, okay? I'd like to think so. If my professors that I went through medical school with are still there, Mm -hmm. I'd like to think that they would say yes. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't checked back in with them in a while, so (laughs) I don't know who runs the show now. Would you be open to that? Oh, definitely. Mm -hmm. It sounds like something that I believe once you... How long? How old is your podcast? So it turns one years old in two weeks. Okay, so that's phenomenal. That I, I feel like once you get the credibility of a good doctor, a hard worker, somebody that's not quote unquote crazy, walking around like a zombie, not working, but you're functioning, you're doing the right thing, and then you're bringing the conversation and you're actually changing lives and changing um, the way doctors function and you're check and that will change the way their patients are treated. I, I really believe that the medical field will reach out to you to say, come come share your wisdom, your experience and and we'll we'll something's gonna shift. I have a feeling that something's gonna shift from this podcast and I really, really hope so because it's so important. And what I'm I'm so curious to know is is it something that is just in the medical field because of the high tension of residency and the hard work and the pain that you see at the ER or whatever, is it the job structure or will a lawyer go through the same trauma, quote unquote, of breaking down with stress? Do you think it's the it's the frame that you don't, but the it's it's the structure of your job that you don't have enough sleep, you don't have enough time to decompose? Maybe they need to put a therapist into it and say, you know, every doctor needs to see a therapist. Like, unwind, have somebody to just unload to, maybe. Is it, I think it's it's the field. It is very much the field because um, there is a vocational psychologist based in the UK who has worked with and studied doctors for decades. Mm -hmm. And she's written a book. She's very up to date with all the research on doctors, mental health and wellness and everything. And the book is called Also Human. Her name is Dr. Caroline Elton. And she writes, she wrote about how the, the unique situation um, of, you know, the, uh, a doctor's work environment and her examples are, um, of UK doctors. Mm-hmm. However, she says that research shows that it's not exclusive to them. It, it's, you know, widespread, it's a global issue. And the worst part for me is that it's an old issue. She said that nothing is new about this, yeah. that it's been going on for a long time. And, um, she has her speculations and theories about why. Yeah. I have my own. (laughs) But yeah, unfortunately, it's something that has been going on for a long time. Yeah. I was just, as you're speaking, I'm like, why haven't they changed the fact that doctors, why is it okay for a doctor to work so many hours? Why is that okay? No other human really works like that. 
especially when they see trauma. Why is it that doctors are given the okay to work such long hours? Why they don't why don't they have the breaks that every human being needs, the amount of sleep, the rest, the vacation. What is it about it? It's a very good, it's a very good question. And I would love, uh, now you gave me something to research because I think that something needs to change in that. I don't know if it's finances, that there's not enough finances, but medical, medical school is expensive. So you would think that like when you go through medical school, there's enough money to support longer hours. I, I just something, something is off and it needs to, it, something needs to change. Definitely. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I, and I hope your podcast and your message will change something. I'm sure it will. Listen, it's already changing residents and doctors not feeling alone, which is huge. This is what you didn't have. You felt so alone. So now you're giving a sense of you're allowed to talk about it. And I really think that what you're doing will change a lot, a lot in the world, not only Australia and the world. So keep on doing what you're doing. Where can people find you? If somebody wants to be a guest on your show from the EMT world or the medical world or the therapist world that deal with doctors that come to them, where can they find you? So they can go to my website, which is www.juniordoctorscorner.com. I am also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Junior Doctors Corner. Okay, great. And what does hope mean to you? I ask this for everyone. I know that you need to go to sleep. It's midnight. I need to sleep <laughs> soon. So what does hope mean to you? Hope means that tomorrow is going to be better, even if it is shit today. Yeah. Like you said, you had a hard day today and you're hoping that tomorrow will be better. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Dana, for giving me your time. I could spend hours talking about this. I want you to go to sleep because your mental <laughs> health is very important. And um, I, I'm in awe of what you're doing. I'm really in awe. And and you're gifted that you were willing to to break the stigma and give a place to people to feel okay by not being okay. So thank you. Is thank there anything you so much. else that you want to share before we go? Uh, no, that that was it. Um, thank you so much for having me on your show, Matana. Um, you know, I feel very honored and privileged. Thank you. And we'll meet up in a few years to see where I'm, I'm visualizing you on a stage somebody, somewhere. And I'll be waving to you and I'll say, remember when I said that you'll be on a stage and talking about this? I, I'm sure, I'm confident that something big is going to come from this podcast that you'll make a change in the system for the good. So I'm thanking you as a mother of children, as a patient for myself, that you're creating better doctors. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Please reach out to Dana if you can add to her conversation on her podcast. We need more people speaking out loud about this. We would love to hear your comments, what you think. I would love to hear from people that are patients, what they feel about their doctors going through mental health issues, if they would want to see that doctor, if they would want to avoid, if they would want to know about it. I want to hear more about that. You can find us on hopetorecharge.com or hope to recharge on Facebook. Hope to recharge the community. Leave us comments. Thank you for all of your reviews. I really appreciate your joining us. Have a good day, everybody. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us and taking the time to listen. I really appreciate it. Please hit the subscribe button so you can hear further episodes. If you are listening to us on iTunes, please leave feedback and ratings below. Let us know if there's any topic that you would like to hear from us in the future. Bye till next time.